Section 5 of Religious Studies, Sketches, and Poems. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lois Beachy Yoder, Charlotte, North Carolina. Religious Studies, Sketches, and Poems by Harriet Beecher Stowe. The Holy Childhood. In the first recorded public prayer of the Apostles after the resurrection of our Lord, he is called the Holy Child Jesus. This expression is a very beautiful one if we couple it with the Master's declaration that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the most like a little child, and that to become as a little child is the first step toward fitness for the knowledge of spiritual things. There has been in this world one rare flower of paradise, a holy childhood growing up gradually into a holy manhood, and always retaining in mature life the precious, unstained memories of perfect innocence. The family at Nazareth was evidently a secluded one. Persons of such an elevated style of thought as Joseph and Mary conscious of so solemn a destiny and guarding with awe the treasure and hope of a world, must have been so altogether different from the ordinary peasants of Nazareth that there could have been little more than an external acquaintance between them. They were undoubtedly loving, gentle, and tender to everyone, full of sympathy for trouble and of kind offices in sickness, but they carried within their hearts a treasury of thoughts, emotions, and hopes which could not be perceived by those whose spiritual eyes had never been opened. It is quite evident from the surprise that the Nazarenes manifested when Christ delivered his first sermon among them that they had never seen anything unusual in the family and that Christ himself had been living among them only as the carpenter's son. This case is not peculiar. The great artist or poet often grows to manhood without one of his townspeople suspecting who he is and what world he lives in. Milton or Raphael might so have grown up unknown in a town of obscure fishermen. The apocryphal Gospels have busied themselves in inventing legends of this child life of Jesus. Nothing so much shows the difference between the false and the true as these apocryphal Gospels compared with the real. Jesus is represented there as a miraculous child, using supernatural power for displaying among his schoolmates and for the gratification of childish piques and resentments. The true gospel gives but one incident of the child life of Jesus, and that just at the time when childhood is verging into youth. For the rest, we are left to conjecture. We are told that his infancy was passed in the land of Egypt. Jesus was the flower of his nation. He was the blossom of its history, and therefore it seemed befitting that his cradle should be where was the cradle of his great forerunner, Moses, on the banks of the Nile. The shadows of the pyramids built by the labors of his ancestors were across the land of his childhood, and the great story of their oppression and deliverance must have filled the thoughts and words of his parents. So imbued was the Jewish mind with the habit of seeing in everything in their history the prophecy and type of the great fulfiller, 
that St. Matthew speaks of this exile in Egypt as having occurred that the type might find completeness, and that Israel, in the person of its head and representative, might a second time be called out of Egypt, that it might be fulfilled that was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, Out of Egypt have I called my son. We do not know with any definiteness the length of this sojourn in Egypt, nor how much impression the weird and solemn scenery and architecture of Egypt may have made upon the susceptible mind of the child. But to the parents it must have powerfully and vividly recalled all that ancient and prophetic literature which in every step pointed to their wonderful son. The earliest instructions of Jesus must have been in this history and literature of his own nation, a literature unique, poetic, and sublime, but we have no tidings of him till that time in his history when, according to the customs of his people, he was of age to go up to the great national festival at Jerusalem. The young Jewish boy was instructed all the earlier years of his life in view of this great decisive step, which, like confirmation in the Christian church, ranked him as a fully admitted member of the house of Israel. It was customary to travel to Jerusalem in large companies or caravans, beguiling the way with hymns of rejoicing as they drew nigh to the holy city. Jesus probably was one of many boys who for the first time were going up to their great national festival. One incident only of this journey is given, but that a very striking one. After the feast was over, when the caravan was returning, they passed a day's journey on their way without perceiving that the child was not among the travelers. This, in a large company of kinsfolk and acquaintance, and where Jesus might have been, as he always afterwards seemed to be, a great personal favorite, was quite possible. His parents, trusting him wholly and feeling that he was happy among friends, gave themselves no care till the time of the evening encampment. Then, discovering their loss, they immediately retraced their steps the next day to Jerusalem, inquiring for him vainly among their acquaintances. They at last turned their steps toward the outer courts of the temple, where was the school of the learned rabbins who explained the law of God. There, seated at their feet, eager and earnest, asking them questions and hearing their answers, the child Jesus had awakened to a new and deeper life, and become so absorbed as to forget time, place, friends, and everything else in the desire to understand the Holy Word. It is a blot upon this beautiful story to speak of Jesus as disputing with the teachers of his nation, or setting himself up to instruct them. His position was that of a learner. We are not told that he asserted anything, but that he listened and asked questions. The questions of a pure child are often the most searching that can be asked. The questions of the holy child Jesus must have penetrated to the very deepest of divine mysteries. Those masterly discussions of the sayings of the rabbins, which years after appeared in the Sermon on the Mount, may have sprung from seeds thus dropped into the childish mind. But while he is thus absorbed and eager, his soul burning with newly kindled enthusiasm, suddenly his parents, agitated and distressed, lay hold on him with tender reproach. 
Son, why hast thou dealt thus with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Jesus answers, as he often did in afterlife, as speaking almost unconsciously out of some higher sphere and in higher language than that of earth. How is it that ye sought me? Did ye not know that I must be about my father's business? It seemed to say, Why be alarmed? Is not this my father's house? Is not this study of his law my proper work? And where should I be but here? But immediately it is added, He went down to Nazareth and was subject to them. Even Christ pleased not himself. The holiest fire, the divinest passion, was made subject to the heavenly order, and immediately he yielded to the father and mother whom God had made his guides an implicit obedience. We have here one glimpse of a consuming ardor, a burning enthusiasm, which they repressed and hidden for eighteen years more, till the father called him to speak. That simple, natural utterance in the child's mouth my father chose the secret of the holy peace which kept him happy in waiting the father was a serene presence an intimate and inward joy in the beautiful solitudes about nazareth the divine benediction came upon him i will be as the dew to israel he shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as lebanon these two natural symbols seem fittest to portray the elements of that holy childhood which grew to holiest manhood. They give us, as its marked characteristics, the shining purity of the lily and the grand strength and stability of the cedars of Lebanon. End of section 5